Welcome to Make Me Your Voice with Pastor David Bartowell. These messages are intended to deepen your faith and trust in a living God who speaks to us with hope and reason. Today's message comes to us from the Gate Christian Bible Church in Orange County, California. Julius Caesar, who was emperor of Rome about 100 BC, he did something pretty spectacular to cause his troops to gain victory. They had just come on the shores of Britain, and he ordered his men to look over the edge of the cliffs of Dover, and he commanded them to look down at the water where they had landed. And to their amazement, all his troops realized that every ship they came in was engulfed with flames. And Caesar had deliberately done that, so there, there was no retreat. All they could do now is move forward, fight, take the land, and gain victory. And that's what they did. Sometimes we need to burn the ships. We need to destroy the idols. We need to break down the sacred pillars in our life so that God can bless us and take us into the land that he wants us to go. So today's going to be well, as I'm going through this, for me, it's a strong message of conviction and repentance with regards to all the things that we deal with on a daily basis that have become idols. And as we're going through this, as the Lord reveals those things to you, don't shut them out. <laughs> Let him in so that he can have freedom in your life to deal with these things because they hold us back. Today, we're going to talk about destroy. We're, you know, we're going through different words in Deuteronomy that appear multiple times. And believe it or not, destroy appears many times in Deuteronomy. In order to enter and occupy the promised land, you must be ready to destroy your idols. Israel is now on the verge of entering the land. But first, God's got to remind them, don't do what they did. Don't do what they did. If you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 15, because I want to give you a backdrop of what God has already spoken about what's going to happen in Joshua when they take the land. In Genesis 15, we have Abraham, who has had an experience with God, and God has promised him, made a covenant with him. But if you look at verse 12, so it says, now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abraham, and behold, terror and great darkness fell upon him. God said to Abraham, know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs. So who is he speaking of? In which land? Egypt. This is like years later, God's telling Abraham this where they will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years. So we know that, right? But I will judge the nation whom they serve, Egypt, and afterward they will come out with many possessions. What's that? The Exodus, right? As for you, Abraham, you shall go in peace and you'll be buried at a good old age. But check this out, verse 16. Then in the fourth generation they will return here. Where is here? The land of Canaan. Deuteronomy, that's what's going on here, right? They're about to enter the promised land of Canaan. Abraham was there. God says, in the fourth generation after you die, they will return here. 
But why is it that God waited this long to give Abraham and his descendants the land? Look what he says. For the sins or the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. What? God is waiting. So God is giving the Canaanites, the Amorites, part of that group, a chance to repent. 400 years. Four generations. God knew they wouldn't repent, but he still gave them a chance. So what's happening here is that Israel is about to enter the land that God had promised him, but not until it was time where God dealt with the Amorites and they still didn't repent and their sin was just beyond what could happen. Now, we know that God was not going to judge the world with a flood. By the way, did you see the incredible rainbow yesterday? It was beautiful. What does that remind us of? God's mercy, that he'll never flood, not destroy, because eventually the world is going to pass away. But through flooding, God will never judge and destroy the world, the earth. But he does deal with people, and in this case, the Canaanites, which the Amorites were part of that group, God is going to take their land and give it to Israel. So that's what's going on. But Israel was kept back from the land 40 years. They wandered in the desert. Why? Unbelief, right? They had idols. And I want you to think about this. Idols of fear, pride, ego, entitlement, division, disunity, gossip, anger. So all these things were going on with Israel. And a whole generation had to pass away so that the new generation, which is what's happening as Moses speaks to the younger, the new generation, is going to come into the land. But they didn't trust God, and now they're about to receive the promise. In Deuteronomy 12, 2 through 3, it says, You shall utterly destroy, so God's telling Israel, You shall utterly destroy all the places where the nations whom you shall dispossess serve their gods on the high mountains, on the hills, under every green tree. You shall tear down their altars, smash their sacred pillars, burn their ashram with fire, and you shall cut down the engraved images of their gods and obliterate their name from that place. So let's look at these things about destroy. You shall destroy first false gods. God, the God of the Bible, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the true God. Any other God is false. So what is a false God? Well, I think God tells us in verse 2 here. What does it say? You shall utterly destroy all the places where the nations whom you shall dispossess serve what? Their gods. Their gods are false gods. Our God is the true God. It's pretty simple. Their God is not the real God, whatever that is. Our God is the real God. So that's how we know. The Canaanites worshipped many gods. The main god they worshipped was Baal. We sometimes say Baal. Baal, which is the god of fertility. In Deuteronomy 5, God speaks to Israel and says, I am the Lord Yahweh, your God, who brought you. So it's your God, Israel, and our God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, and then what? You shall have no other gods before me. Which commandment is that? Number one, you shall have no other gods before me or above me. 
So a false god is any other god other than Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of the Bible. And Yahweh commands Israel to destroy all the places of Canaanite worship, their gods. The only way Israel could achieve God's command of inheriting the land and staying in the land was to destroy everything and anything that housed pagan gods. Or they might become ensnared by them and worship them. So how does that relate to us today? Their gods, many different ways we could look at this, but one way we can look at this is technology. Technology in itself isn't a bad thing, right? But could the things of technology become a false god? In fact, right now, everyone is receiving data on some type of gadget. That data is benign in itself unless you activate it, right? These things can house false gods, right? Now, my iPhone in itself is not evil, but the data it receives includes evil, tempting things. Sometimes it might be all we can do but destroy the thing that houses these false gods. I knew a guy, he says, I can't own and have a smartphone. I said, then get a dumb phone. But no. And so he decided... He was going to get some old flip phone that had no internet. That was the only way that he could deal with those false gods. Because sometimes you got to do whatever it takes. Others might need to stay out of bars and nightclubs, which become places of worship. One of the things for me that I notice, there's certain songs that I don't need to listen to because... When I listen to them, they take me to a bad place, a house of worship of evil. I'm going to just name off some bands. and I, I love these bands, but like one band, Led Zeppelin, I probably shouldn't listen to Led Zeppelin. I definitely shouldn't listen to The Doors because I used to just like go in place of worship, turn that music on and just go in another place. Definitely not ACDC, not good for me. Now, I know these things. And one other song, Hotel California, for some reason. I listen to that, and I go, something happens. So I know these things, but sometimes I go, oh, man, you know, riders on the storm, you know. <laughs> and I'm like, no, I can't listen to that. Does that make sense to anybody? Because music goes right to the heart. For me, actually, music became my God. It's important to know what these are so that you can at least acknowledge that it's a false god and maybe hopefully destroy it. So remember, God says, you shall utterly destroy all the places, the places where the nations whom you shall dispossess serve their gods, on the high mountains and on the hills and under every green tree. So what is that? Well, these trees are ashram or asherah, plural. Have you heard of that, asherah trees? Asherah trees were worshipped as goddesses, Canaanite goddesses, which were associated with Baal. The Hebrew word was the name of that goddess, Asherah. And these were sacred trees, and they were symbols of the fertility goddess 
And sometimes they would have poles. You ever heard of Asherah poles that were erected? And God says, you need to destroy all that. Don't even look at it. That's not for you. You know, when God says, I'm a jealous God, it's not that he's jealous and he's like, what do we think of that? What he's saying is that I love you so much, I don't want you to go down that path. Sometimes it takes destroying these things. The next thing we need to destroy are false altars. These are where gods are worshipped. This is fake worship. The altar is the most sacred place of worship. Yahweh instructed Moses, remember, to build a tabernacle or dwelling place for his presence. And that tabernacle consisted of two altars. One was in the outer court, one was in the inner court. The outer court was the bronze altar where the sacrifices were done. That represented God's judgment, and no one could go further than that without a sacrifice of blood. And then in the inner court, there was a golden altar where the incense was burned. Do you remember what that represented? The prayers of the people. And that gold altar was the last place before entering the Holy of Holies where God dwelt. So the altar is a place of worship, which is a place of sacrifice. And the altar was always raised up. And these were places where people sacrificed different things. So in order to keep worship pure, Israel had to tear down these false altars to Baal and different gods. So imagine entering a land and seeing altars built all over the place to false gods. How would you feel? Well, we don't have to go back in time to see these things. What are some examples? Well, if you're driving down the freeway, what do you notice on big raised up things? Billboards, right? And boy, some of them are pretty bad. But what are they trying to do? They're trying to get your attention so that you'll sacrifice to their product. And the same thing with department stores. Again, they're vying for your business. They want you to sacrifice God's money to them. I'm not saying that these things are necessarily bad. But you have to realize that they're going for your heart. Any marketing person realizes that if you can get someone's heart, you've got their money, right? And our heart longs to be needed and to have a purpose. And our heart is drawn to worship. So it's not a matter of whether we'll worship. It's a matter of who or what we worship and sacrifice. So let me ask you a question. Who is the most worthy of worship? Jesus. So if anything else is vying for that place in your heart, that's fake worship. And that's an altar that's been raised up in your life that can draw your heart away from God. Jesus said you can't serve money in God. He didn't say money was bad. In fact, the Bible says the root of all evil, the love of money, not money. And people go, I don't love money. No, but do you worship money in the sense where it's become your little altar of worship? Does anyone take money with them when they die? No. So it should be given to God's kingdom. That's why when Ray read the verse, it says, when you get into land, you're going to bring your tithes, your offerings to God. Because that's how you keep from having money be your 
altar of worship. Now, this is an altar, sadly, that has become very prominent in our world today. In Deuteronomy 12, it says, Beware that you are not ensnared to follow them after they are destroyed before you. So he's saying, don't follow those people. Do not inquire their gods by saying, How do these nations serve their gods that I also may do likewise? Don't do that. You should not behave thus toward the Lord, Yahweh, your God, for every abominable act which the Lord hates. They have done for their gods, and check this out, for they even burn their sons and daughters in the fire to their gods. This has become an incredible altar of worship for some reason, like killing infants. We have to realize that when these things are raised up and actually not only said that they're okay, but promoted, that's trying to get your heart above your heart for God. And nothing should take that place, okay? The next thing we should destroy are false pillars, which are fake beliefs, belief systems. Everybody has these. They're called values. They're called belief systems. They're called worldviews, how you see the world. And Satan is an expert at counterfeit. In fact, my wife Deborah and I were talking about that yesterday with the rainbow. The rainbow is a symbol of God's mercy, which has been turned around for counterfeit things. Satan's good at that. Do you know the best way to spot a counterfeit bill? Well, you have to know what the real one looks like, and then you hold up to the light, right? Paul writes in Ephesians, but when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. But if you don't know what the real thing is, you're not going to see the counterfeit. John 3.19, Jesus said, This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were what? Evil. The kingdom of darkness exists to try and pass off as a counterfeit. That's Satan's modus operandi. In the Garden of Eden, Satan tried to pass off a lie as truth, right? Remember he said, Did God really say? Satan tries to twist the truth just a little, so that people will buy it as truth, but it's a lie. And by the way, there's no such thing as partial truth. Either it's true or it's not true. Idolatry is replacing a lie for the truth. It's a substitute for the truth. Romans one twenty-five. read this with me. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. So what takes the place of God? Created things. Created things takes the place of the creator. So anything that substitutes for God, the creator, can be an idol. And God says to obliterate the idols. He says, get rid of them, even their name. So why is he saying that? Because what is a name When you think of a name, it reminds you of something, right? So God says this in Deuteronomy 5.8, You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. So these Canaanite temples were filled with carved images of God and they looked like different things that were created things like snakes and, and the sun and the moon. So idols can become pillars, 
pillars, remember, are belief systems. Let's talk about belief systems real quick. And these are pillars in your life. What should be our belief system built around? First of all, obviously, the Bible. We should have a biblical belief system. And anything that's not of that is fake. But what about the inerrancy of Scripture? You heard of that? What's inerrant mean? Without error, right? Is it enough to believe in a historical Jesus? Is it enough to believe that, oh, yeah, that story about Noah is a great story? Is it enough to believe that this is a bunch of good stuff about morality? No. If this is not authoritative, if this is not what we build our life on, the Word of God, then we might as well just throw it out because it's just some other book. We need the pillar of God's Word and the authority of God's Word. We need the pillar of the doctrines of Christ, which are the teachings of Christ. Those should be what we build our belief system around. And we should also include the traditions of the church. Now, we shouldn't make the traditions rise up to here above the Bible, but we should at least look at how did the church do things before us? Are we just like the church today? No, it's been going on for 2,000 years. What did other people talk about? What did other theologians say? How did the church start? How did they function? How did they worship? Those are the traditional things that we should take. Like for today, we're having the Lord's Supper together. We didn't just make that up. That's what the church should do. So those are important things. And when those pillars are not built around the doctrine and the teaching and the authority of Christ and His Word, then anything can become true. Now, I, like you, if you're honest, tried to fill my life with substitutes, with idols, with created things. You know, drugs, pleasure, relationships, music, fame. And all those things in themselves might not necessarily be bad, but when they take the place of God as first place in my life, it's very bad. Because Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. When I do a wedding and I'm doing the marriage counseling, I always tell the couple before they get married, don't place your hope and worth in your spouse because that can become idolatry. You place your hope and your worth in Christ. Jesus has to be up here then everything else is added on to you. How about in your family? Don't place your hope and your worth in your kids. Place your hope in Christ, and then everything will fall into place. How about your work? Don't place your hope and your worth in your work. Place your hope and your worth in Christ. How about your ministry? Don't place your hope and your worth in your ministry. I did that. Place your hope and your worth in Christ, and then everything else falls into place. Do you know what one of the images that we idolize the most, you know what it is? Ourself. And do you know that companies know this? How do they know this? They develop slogans like, just do it. Have it your way. 
you deserve a break today, right? This bud's for you. My documents, iPhone, YOLO, right? You only live once. No, you live eternally, either with God or apart from God. And then this one just bothers me. God just wants me to be happy. You know what's wrong with that? If you build your belief system around that, you'll just wander off like a stray sheep because you're always trying to find what's going to make me happy. I'm going to tell you something, and it's really important, and I'm glad you're here today. So you've got to remember this. It's not about you. It's not about you. In fact, you know what's so interesting? About two years ago, I decided to put on my calendar, and I made it a repeating statement for the rest of my life, hopefully. Pops up every day. You know what it says? It's not about you. Now, I don't live like that every day, but I'll tell you what, when it pops up on my phone and I'm having a pity party, it reminds me it's not about me. Every human being is made in the image of God. And we have been given attributes that are godly. Every person. Now, as a Christian, we've received Christ and we have the Holy Spirit. So our image actually has been restored. Because remember, the image of God is distorted and marred in anybody who's not in Christ. Because sin has taken the place and marred it. And when God looks at us, though, he sees his son, Jesus Christ. And he sees his righteousness in us. And that image is restored. But everybody receives things from God, right? I mean, the, think about it. The ability to think. The ability to rationalize. The ability to love. The ability to care for somebody. Do you think that we just like happen to get those things? God gave us those things. That's part of his image in us. So when we distort that by worshiping us, If we worship the image bearer, we're confused. So we need to remember that idolatry is a lot of things. Colossians 1.15 says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. That's important because the next verse in 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this, We all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image of Christ. From glory to glory. So as we go along in this life, and it may not feel like it, but it is happening. God is transforming us a little, a little at a time. And then one day we see Jesus face to face and we are glorified totally as he is. But right now God's working in us as we submit and we deny ourselves. That's why Jesus said, anyone who wants to follow me must deny himself, say no to myself, so that I can say yes to Christ. All this stuff is so simple, but we don't do it. Can you remember the last time you said no to yourself and yes to Christ? Well, odds are you're here today, right? And you could be a lot of places, but you said no to yourself and yes to Christ. All right? Every Christian should be in the church. No Lone Ranger Christians. Every Christian should be a part 
of a church family in a local church. If not, they're saying no to God. And I don't say that lightly. You know, there used to be a time, oh, you know, just let everybody be themselves. And, you know, because they'll come around, the Holy Spirit will speak to them. Yeah, well, they're not listening. So they need someone to tell them that you're not listening. Okay? It's very important to understand that in order to become more like Christ, raise your hand if you want to become more like Christ, we have to say no to ourselves. I don't feel like it. Or those people at the gate, man, they're kind of weird. Thank God. I love weird people because I'm a weird person. I say that with all due respect. I mean weird in a good sense. We love to laugh. We have fun. If you come to our prayer time at 920, it's incredible time of fellowship and unity. These are the things that we say no to ourselves and yes to Christ because we want to become more like Christ. Remember, in order to enter the land, and that land is whatever God wants to bless you with, you have to be ready to destroy your idols, and one of them is yourself. No to yourself. Now, so those are the things that God says not to do. Well, what should we do? Well, that's the next part. Deuteronomy 13, 4. So God always has the answer. He says, don't do those things. What should you do? These are the things. You shall follow the Lord your God. Read this with me. You shall follow the Lord your God and fear him. You shall keep his commandments, listen to his voice, serve him and cling to him. So let's talk real quickly about each. Follow, keep, listen, serve, cling. So first, we need to follow the Lord your God and fear him. Follow the Lord your God and fear him. So again, Jesus says, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny, say no to yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. What does it mean to follow someone? Where are you geographically when you follow someone, huh? Behind them, right? Don't you hate it? Someone says, I don't know where that is. Can I follow you? And then you drive off, and they go around you really fast, and they get lost, and then they blame you. Why do they blame you? You're driving too slow. Isn't that what we do with Jesus? It's like, Jesus, you're way too slow. Can we get on with it? Let's go. Why are you so slow? That's when we're not following. We need to follow Christ so that way we can enter the land and be in his blessing. Next, we need to keep his commandments. Keep. Now, that word shamar in Hebrew means to guard. People who fall into sin don't usually fall all at once. It's little steps, right? That looks so enticing. Jesus is way too slow. I need to be happy. So I'm going to do things my way. And I don't trust God to meet my needs. So here I go. There's a song by Casting Crowns called Slow Fade. Listen to some of these words. It's a slow fade when you give yourself away. It's a slow fade when black and white are turned to gray and thoughts invade, choices are made, a price will be paid when you give yourself away. People never crumble in a day. It's a slow fade. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. When flattering leads to compromise, the end is always near. Be careful, little lips, what you say for empty words and promises leave broken hearts astray. It's a slow fade when you give yourself away. 
It's a slow fade. People never crumble in a day. Thank God for his grace that he cares about us so much that he tells us this because we just need to be aware. Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, your sacred pillar, for everything you do flows from it. Next, we need to listen to his voice. Listen, the word is shama. Now, is there a difference between hearing and listening? I'll give you an example. You're hearing God. You're reading the word. But are you listening to the word, to Jesus' voice? Jesus said, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. And next, we need to serve him. Serve him. Why did Yahweh rescue Israel out of Egypt? Was it so that they could just go out and have a party in the desert? No, he said, tell Pharaoh to let my people go so that they what? Worship and serve me. That word abad means to work. It's the best way to keep from idolatry is to work for God. And that means showing up. That means showing up early. And get up every day and say, Lord, I belong to you. Can you imagine if you woke up every day and say, Lord, I work for you. I may show up at a building or another place of employment, but that's not who I ultimately work for. Yes, he's my boss or she's my boss. I work for that person. I want to do a good job. But ultimately, Lord, you're my boss. I work for you. Then that becomes worship. Luis Palau. Incredible evangelist. Millions of people have come to Christ over this man's life. He's from Argentina. He preaches both in English and in Spanish boldly. He was speaking at this conference. I find out that two years ago, he had a cough, couldn't get rid of it. They gave him medicine and stuff didn't help. And and then he went to the doctor and they said, you know, we should just take a look. And they said, Luis... You have stage four lung cancer. You only have like a few months max. He obviously, he's like Paul. He's like, hey, it's better to go be with Jesus, but it'll be tough for you, for his wife. He didn't want to leave his wife. He literally at that point realized, you know what? Do I really mean what I've been preaching? Or has this just been a joke? Because eventually, whether we have stage four cancer or not, we're leaving this world. Is the stuff that you know, when you've been listening and hearing the word and believing in what God says, that's when the rubber meets the road. Is it really true in your life? Or is it just like a joke? So he said, he didn't know when God was going to take him home, but he said, until he takes him home, I'm just going to continue to work and continue to serve the Lord. And here he is two years later, Preaching his heart out for Jesus. Talk about inspiring and convicting. Because I have bitty parties. I can't do that. You know, I'm too old or I'm too sick or I'm too this or I'm not talented enough or I'm whatever excuse in the book. And God says, it's not about you. I love you and I want to use you. And that's why the last one is we've got to cling to him. Who do you cling to when you're at the worst, when things are just going south? They say that Jesus won't be all you need until Jesus is all you have. This last week, I was struggling with an illness, and I've never had this illness before, and it was really hard for me to play the piano 
it hurt. I had to hold my arms up, and uh, I made it through. But, you know, it's at those times you go, Lord, you have me here. You know, you didn't go through all that trouble for me to sit there and not do what you want me to do. But it takes work. We cling to Jesus, but we got to get out of bed. You know, we cling to Jesus, but we still got to show up. You know, some people just stay in the mode of prayer. And you know what? Without prayer, it's meaningless. But at some point, you got to get up and start walking and stop giving excuses. Because God has you here. If he wanted you to be there, he'd have you there. And he's not leaving you here without a purpose. Because this church, whatever church, this church God is using, and God has an incredible plan. Whether I'm here or not, he wants to use us. So God wants to use you. God has us here for a reason. We need to cling to Jesus because here's why. If we don't cling to Jesus, Hebrews 12.1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witness, let us lay aside every weight and every sin which we cling so closely to. And let us run with endurance. You can't run the race if you're clinging to sin. You'll run the race if you cling to Jesus. Remember, I've said this before. Grace, G-R-A-C-E. If you try to run the race without God, gee, you're not going to make it. If there's anything that has popped up during this time today that you realize, you know what? I've been trying to hold on and cling to that rather than Jesus. Right now, we're going to pray and you just need to confess it. And then God says, I will forgive your sin. And you will receive God's blessing in your life. So let's bow our heads. Lord Jesus, thank you that you're here. That your spirit is in us and your spirit is working here in this place. And I want to, first of all, Lord, confess my sin of trying to do things my way many times. And not waiting for you. We're not relying on you. And this last week has made me realize that I don't rely on you oftentimes. I rely on my own self and my own strength and my own talent. And Lord, all those things are good, but I need to rely on you above all those things. I need to cling to you. And whatever is in your life, maybe you need to confess those to the Lord now. So just spend a moment in the silence just talking to God about it. Thank you, Father, for your grace that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. But yet, Lord, you convict us. And as we talked about a few weeks ago, you discipline us because we have to run our race. Nobody's going to run it for us. But I pray we'd rely on you, that we'd cling to you, that we wouldn't cling to even our thoughts that become idols, unresolved anger that become idols, Things in our life, Lord, that hold us back. I pray, Father, for healing in all these areas. I pray for physical healing and emotional. Most of all, Lord, thank you for the spiritual healing we have in Christ. And I always say, Lord, 
you know, if it were up to me to stay close to you, I'd fall away. But I ask that you keep us close to you. And I pray we would pray that for our families, that you'd keep them close to you. And the prodigals, you'd bring them back close to you. Because, Lord, in the end, it's all going to be about you anyway. So we might as well live like that now. So give us that heart, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor David Bartowell's message reminds us that God speaks to us with hope and reason so that we can be His voice in this world. Please join us again for Make Me Your Voice, a ministry of the Gate Christian Bible Church in Orange County, California. We would love to have you join us for a Sunday service. For more information or to find our location, please visit thegatecbc.com. Make me your voice.